Well, for those of you that have been around St. Luke's, at least on and off over the years, you know that when we come to Lent, of which this is the first Sunday, we begin a Lenten sermon series. And I made a choice this year, after some prayer, based on the fact that for the last 33 years, I've been doing the seven last words of Jesus on the cross on Good Friday. And sometimes you hear those readings on Palm Sunday. Sometimes you hear those readings on Monday, Thursday. Sometimes you hear those readings on Good Friday. But very few sermons focus on the last seven words of Jesus on the cross. And so I thought, with such a small percentage of people in the church that ever come out for Good Friday, either because they work or because it's a day off and they take the day off, or because it's too much time in the church, heaven forbid. Um, you know, Sunday's enough. And, uh, and so there's lots of reasons why people don't come to Good Friday. But they don't. And uh, over the years, I've preached all of the words at different times, and I thought it'd be really fun to string a sermon series together. In fact, I began doing this in San Antonio 33 years ago. And, uh, and, the, and not the first year, but I think it was the second or the third year, one of the other preachers for the seven last words was Max Lucado. And so some of you know that name. So I used to preach with Max. Uh, I think people wanted to hear him more. But it was a real privilege to do that. And at times I had one word, at times I had two words. But when I came here, there was a service, so I immediately became part of it. And we've been hosting it, I think, the last 15 or 20 years here. And so it's been a blessing to do. But if you don't have that experience, you miss the power of the seven last words. Not only the power of the seven last words, but what's contained in them. And the first word, interestingly enough, contains father and contains forgiveness. Two of the very strong messages that Jesus tried to bring when he brought the kingdom of God, when he brought his message, when he brought the gospel. And sometimes we miss it because we're just not aware of the power of these words. That Jesus went to the cross for what purpose? To pay the penalty for our sins so that we can have a relationship with God. In other words, forgiveness. So that we could be reconciled to the Father. So that we could have that personal relationship. So that we could come to know him more. And it's interesting that when Jesus said these words, it's it's another aspect that people sometimes miss. He said them in darkness. Because even though it was the middle of the day from noon to three, Matthew's gospel tells us that from that time period, darkness covered the land. And these are his seven last words. So he said these in darkness. And it's interesting because the beginning of John's gospel says... And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness could not put it out. So here's Jesus, the light of the world. His life is about to be extinguished. But even then, with the people's intention, with Satan's intention, the light still shines. In fact, it shines even more because it's through his death that the power of sin and the power of death are defeated. Now think about if you've ever experienced utter darkness, or darkness in the middle of the day. I don't know how many of you have ever gone spelunking or caving. When you get deep in the heart of the cave, it is really dark. Or 
when we have a tremendous, horrendous storm and the clouds cover like no other time and it gets tremendously dark. Or, for those of you that experienced it a couple of years ago, the eclipse, the total eclipse. Now, if you were on the island, it was kind of a bust. But we were in the mountains. We were on the lake in the mountains and it was incredible. The darkness covered the land. The wind started blowing. It was very eerie. And possibly that's the, what the people of Jesus' day were, were experiencing. We don't know exactly what the darkness was about or where it came from, but we do know the darkness covered the land. And it's in the midst of this darkness that Jesus is speaking those seven last words. Now think about what you do typically in darkness. You sleep, typically, unless you do shift work, in which case sometimes you sleep. Or you do something maybe that you shouldn't do, that you wouldn't do if it was light, that people would see. Or maybe you're frightened because of the nature of the darkness or the kind of darkness. And I'm sure that all of those were going on at the cross. That all of those, someone was experiencing. And the people by the cross, there were probably a multitude of reactions to what was going on. Some people were curious. Some people had no idea. Some people were disinterested. that They just happened to be there because the crowd was there. And some people were defiant. Defiant. And here's Jesus the one who went to the cross to reveal God's love, to love them, to bring forgiveness to them. And they were defiant. But that's the scene. And even though the darkness would try to extinguish, to put out what was going on, the light would shine. And this first word really shines the light of Jesus. The sun, S-O-N, not just the S-U-N, the sun shines through the darkness. And so we come to the first word of the first word, which is Father. It's what Jesus would say about God throughout his ministry. It's what Jesus would pray throughout his ministry. He would pray to the Father. There's only one time that Jesus did not refer to the Father as his Father. And that was the fourth word that we will get to in several weeks. And we'll talk about that. But every other time, Jesus would refer to him and pray to him as father. Now, for for some of you that maybe didn't have the greatest relationship with your father, it's a difficult concept. But for Jesus, who loved the father, knew the father's love, was intimate with the father, who trusted the father, That would be the first word out of his mouth when he's on the cross. Once again, going back to the first chapter of John's Gospel. Through Jesus and the light coming in, the one bringing life, the one manifesting God, revealing God, revealing himself. We're told through him we have the power to become his children. And isn't that what Jesus taught? That as people came to faith we would become his children. We would be reunited, not a broken relationship. We would be reconciled to God our Father. That this relationship would be established anew. That we could trust him. 
We could trust in his love. We could trust in his provision, his grace. You know what's interesting about the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Think about them. Jesus was actually accused of blasphemy because he referred to God as Father. John chapter 5 tells us that they said, you can't call God Father. Why? Because what did they want? They wanted a God who was removed and aloof. They wanted a God who was about law that happened to fit the laws that they set up that were convenient to them. They were a God that was punitive towards people that didn't live life, do life as they did. Absolutely. And so they whined. (laughs) And they got angry at Jesus. Because he didn't fit their mold and the God that he talked about didn't fit their mold. Because they could keep this God at arm's length. Like many people still do today. See, if God's out there, and I don't have this relationship with him, I can maybe dodge. Maybe not really seek to walk with him. I can believe what I want about him. It's when I come to this faith and trust that he's my father. That Jesus, by his death and resurrection, restored the relationship. Now, it's intimacy. Now, it's walking with him. Now it's living under him and trusting him. It's different. That's why Jesus would say, Father. Really what he was saying, if you really know, when he taught his apostles, our Father. The word is Abba, Daddy. You know, when my daughter was away at college, probably about 15 years ago. We were in a season of rebellion at that time. And I was driving to Charleston. We were in the middle of the search for the bishop. And I get a call from Bethany. She says, Daddy, I'm in the hospital with viral meningitis. So I called Meredith up and I said, I need you to set up a flight the next morning for me. So I flew out, first word, daddy. And then I helped her get out of the hospital and we met with all of her professors because it was near finals time. And when I left, it was, I love you, daddy. That's what we're talking about. That we have a broken relationship. And God seeks to restore that relationship through Jesus through his death. Forgive them. How hard it is to forgive. You know, what we typically think about forgiveness in our culture is we're just going to distance ourselves from that person. Or the relationship will cool, or we'll build up resentment, which eventually leads to bitterness, which eventually leads to alienation. See, we mask 
forgiveness in our lives. We act as though we've forgiven, but have we? And really what God's intention is, is when we understand the forgiveness of God in Jesus Christ. When we really receive this forgiveness, then we forgive as he forgives. That's what the Lord's Prayer says. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, sin against us. That we're called, commanded to forgive. And we don't always do that. Some people don't think they need forgiveness. Because they're self-righteous. Because they're justifying. Because they're rationalizing. I don't need forgiveness. I'm good. So we're loath. We're hesitant to pass it on. We don't really understand it. Because we've never come to that place where we say, I recognize I need forgiveness. I've got to be reconciled to God. Because really, I'm not what I think I am in terms of my relationship with God. You know, part of the time, people will stand around the cross to a degree. Then, now. But we have our own agenda as to what God is doing in our lives, of what we need. Our own agenda of what's right and wrong because we're self-righteous. You know, it's amazing throughout my 35 years in the ordained ministry how many people I've dealt with through the years that either recognizing or not recognizing don't forgive and are in conflict with people their spouse, their children, their parents, their friends, over an inheritance, over my sensibilities being offended, my worth being challenged. Someone betrayed me. Whatever it is. And they hold on to this unforgiveness for 20 years, 30 years, or more. Instead of working through it, instead of recognizing what God granted us. Paul says in Romans, and it's really an unfolding, it's in Romans 5, the passage that you have before you. It's an unfolding of what he experienced in his own life in terms of understanding his own need for forgiveness. See, a lot of times as we age, we think we've actually grown more righteous when maybe we have and maybe we haven't. And sometimes we get so comfortable with who we are being wrong that we just say, well, that's how I am. That's who I am. Instead of learning what true repentance is about and true transformation is about. And that's why Paul writes in Romans, while we were weak. That's how he starts. We're weak. And then he says, while we were sinners... And then definitively, he says, while we were enemies. See, when we're not walking with God, we're living contrary to us being his child, his desire for us, to be that loving father, for us to commit our lives to him, submit our lives to him. We're in rebellion. We're enemies. 
And when we live contrary to his way, we break relationships around us. And we're poor witness to the world. And that's why we're living as enemies of him. Instead of being reconciled to him. Because we learn what it means to work through these difficult times. That's what Paul's talking about. That's what Paul understood about his own life. If you read his letters, that was his mindset. My feet are even more made of clay than I really realized when I even first came to Christ. Because we're aware of more and more as we're growing in that relationship. And then we're able to empty ourselves and we're able to be filled with his spirit and able to bear his fruit because we're emptying ourselves. Which is what Jesus did. And then he says something very interesting. For they know not what they do. No matter what position they're in. Ignorance, defiance, anger. They don't know what they're doing. Have you ever at home had a mechanical, electrical, plumbing, computer problem? And you really don't know what you're doing. You think you might. You think you want to fake it for everybody around. And you know either you're thinking to yourself, I really don't know what I'm doing, or someone in the room either is thinking or saying, are you sure you know what you're doing? (laughs) See, all of those people around the cross thought they knew what they were doing. Because Jesus did not fit the mold of the Messiah. The Messiah they wanted. And it's amazing how when we think we know what we're doing, we think we got it right, and therefore we're not going to consult God. Because we know better. We've got a problem. Who becomes the God of our life? And we don't seek his word. We don't seek him. We don't seek to have our minds transformed, our hearts transformed, because we're right. We think we're right. And so when Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, they had no idea. The one who is God, the one who came to heal them, to save them, the one who preached truth to them, they were crucifying. Because they thought they were right and righteous in their own eyes. They were self-righteous, self-serving. See, sometimes we need to say, I really don't know what I'm doing. Sometimes when I'm on the golf course, I don't look like I know what I'm doing. And we need help. And that's why Jesus went to the cross to say, I know you don't know what you're doing, and you don't know what you need. And even to the people standing around who weren't aware what they were doing, Jesus did not condemn them. He prayed to the Father for them, and he forgave them. Racked with pain, Beaten down. Words of ridicule. Something most of us 
have never and probably never will experience wholly and completely. And he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And I wonder sometimes, do we really understand the depth, the grace, the love that Jesus showed for us? For us. Because that's why he went there, for us. Think about the people around the cross. And maybe what we might have done. Crucify him. He saved others, let him save himself. And we say things like that. If you did that for others, why won't you do it for me? They taunted him. You know, it's amazing how cruel people can be. He's struggling. And they say, crucify him. Come down from the cross. Save yourself. And Jesus could have. I had someone tell me after the service, last service, they said, never thought about that. Jesus could have come down from the cross. He could have saved himself. And if he had, he would not have saved us. Because we needed someone to die in our place for our sin. We needed that love and forgiveness. So he gave up himself for us. He chose not to save himself. It's that love that kept him there on that cross. You know, he could have called down legions of angels. You know, that's probably what I would have done. Get him. Get him. He didn't do that. Out of love for us. And we can't miss that. He stayed on the cross for you and for me. He prayed for them and for you and for me. Because we don't always know what we're doing. And if he hadn't stayed on the cross, we would not experience that forgiveness, that grace, that love. Hebrews 9 says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So Jesus chose to submit himself to the Father, to trust the Father for our sake so that we might know his love and forgiveness and the power of the resurrection to change us. We don't have to hold on to that anger, to that hatred. We don't have to hold on to that self-loathing, the guilt. We don't have to hold on to that. It doesn't mean when you forgive someone, by the way, that they will want to be reconciled to you. It doesn't mean necessarily that there will be an immediately trust bond between the two of you. That's not what it means. That may come. That is what is supposed to come in our relationship with God when we receive his forgiveness. But we still are called to forgive. We are still called to let go. Because that's what Jesus did for us on the cross. Some of you here have never really understood that or experienced that. Some of you here are like trying to keep God out here, aloof, removed from you. Some of you want to hold on to your sin. 
You're one of those who, you don't know what you're doing. You don't know what you've done. But Jesus says, then and now, Father, forgive them, for that they know not what they do. Have you received his forgiveness? And are you passing it along? Let's pray. Lord God, in a few short weeks, we will be experiencing a conference focused on forgiveness. People that experience tragedy and hatred and death in their midst. Lord, some of us have never been so in pain or so damaged, and some have. Lord, I pray that everyone here would understand the depth of your love, the gift of your forgiveness, that we needed a Savior to go to the cross for us, in our place for our sin. Lord, help us to not keep you at arm's length, but to receive you, to have that intimate relationship where we call you Daddy. Abba, Father. That when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we understand our Father. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those. Lord God, for those that might be in ignorance today, in defiance today, open their heart to your grace and your truth and your love and your forgiveness. And help us to bring that forgiveness to the broken around us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.